0: Today is Sunday, February 11th, 2018, and this is Celtic Speed right here on CLNS Media, and I am Evan Valenti. Episode 249 is brought to you by Casper. For a limited time, visit casper.com backslash savings and receive up to $200 off your purchase of $2,000 or more. This special offer expires February 20th, 2018. See casper.com backslash terms. For more details, episode 249 is also brought to you by eHarmony. Right now, my listeners get a free month of the eHarmony. They like sign up for a three-month subscription. Descending my code, CelticSpeed at checkout. Glad I'm with you guys. The trade deadline is over. All-Star break coming up. Just a couple more games until we get there. Should be a fun uh, weekend of activities. But we have another fun activity happening, actually, Tonight, the day, the night this podcast drops, Paul Pierce, his number 34, retired into the rafters. And we'll talk about that plus more trade deadline stuff, including what to do with Marcus Smart in 2018 at the end of the year and much, much more with my man, Keith Smith, coming up next. You know, Keith, I think it's interesting that at points throughout this season and that's kind of, you know, become an issue because, you know, the whole, I, when does Isaiah Thomas get his, his tribute video? Does it interfere with Paul Pierce, you know, retirement night. And that's happening, of course, you know, Sunday. And if you listen to this on Sunday, it's happening tonight. Uh, Paul Pierce is number 34 getting retired into the rafters. But like some people out there and I'll just throw Nick right under the bus because it seems like everybody can throw Nick right under the bus. Uh, But Nick Wright had a big thing about, like, Paul Pierce not being that great of a player. There was that Twitter thread out there that that detailed like all the the mishandlings and the failures of Paul Pierce. There were, uh, you know, Jalen uh, Rose called Paul Pierce petty to his face uh, on, on national television. Are we forgetting, Keith, that Paul Pierce is like one of the greatest Celtics of all time? And in in, ter- in terms of like in the pantheon of, of of franchises in the NBA, that should mean a whole lot because the Celtics are the most accomplished franchise in the NBA.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's really, to me, it's, it's stunning that people have turned on Paul Pierce this way. Now, I think. It's important to know none of those people are in Boston. I don't think. (laughs) No, I don't (laughs) think. I think uh, everybody who, whether in Boston or a Celtics fan, they, they still remember, you know, Paul Pierce probably more than fondly. 15 years as a Celtic. I mean, that alone is, you know, an accomplishment. And in the course of those years with Boston, 22 points per game, uh, about six rebounds, four assists, consistently a good defender. Was uh, the go-to guy for almost that entire stretch, uh, maybe outside of just his rookie season uh, when Antoine Walker was still <laughs> launching triples from half court, basically. Mm. But he he was amazing, you know, for the Celtics. And then he went on to play, you know, well in his one year in Brooklyn, and then was a valuable reserve for the Wizards, and then closed it out, you know, at the with the Clippers, just kind of, you know, wrapping up his career. But it's it's interesting to me that the whole Petty thing is – is it maybe – I don't know. I don't know how to really judge that. But for me, it's this guy's earned his day 15 years with one franchise. He got the title. A multiple time all star with the Celtics. He earned this, and he deserves to have it be about him on that one
0: day. When you have your, like, if you look at the Boston Celtics career leaders and almost anything and look at the top 10, Paul Pierce's name is in the majority of those top 10 lists. And you look at those top 10 lists, who else is on there? You had just have Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. Like, what Paul Pierce is able to do for one of the best, if not the best franchise in the NBA, is simply remarkable. I mean, he He's second in points scored in in in, the, in Celtics history. He ha, he actually if you combine all of his years together. Uh, he, he actually has more points than John Havlicek, which again is a, is a remarkable accomplishment. In a league where now you look at the NBA landscape, nobody plays for one team really anymore, and Paul Pierce leaves had the luxury of playing the majority of his career for one team. I mean, look like Dirk Nowitzki is really an outlier now, um, the way that he can stay with Dallas forever, but like you look at the last thing Paul Pierce ever did on a Celtics floor. He had his last three-point shot at Clippers game, I think it was on a Sunday uh, where he came in and knocked down a three from the left wing. It it seemed like it was just, you know, A, yesterday. But B, seems like he'd been doing something like that for forever. And I look at Paul. There are so many memorable moments. But for me, like nothing really tops him, you know, in the NBA Finals. He was unbelievable, right? He was 20 points per game, about five rebounds, about five assists. Uh, he really embraced being like that, that, that kind of point-forward role in that series. But he was outstanding in a bunch of big shots. And the best thing for me was him standing up on top of the podium, holding up the, the Bill Russell Finals MVP trophy. And that, for me, like there's the Al Harrington shot. There are a bunch of these different shots. But that one moment for me, Keith, is the one that really sticks out for me. Is there any singular Paul Pierce moment that sticks out to you?
1: Yeah, it's that head-to-head shootout with
0: LeBron James.
1: Yeah. Oh, in, yeah. in
0: the Game 7,
1: that same season, the, the title season in 2008, it was the 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 Celtics were – they were – They came together quicker than anybody ever could have imagined. They were completely dominant all season long. And then seven games with the Atlanta Hawks in the first round, who were awful. Yes, That Hawks team was so bad, and that would have been – that would have been the single biggest choke job, I think, in the history of sports if they had lost that. They pulled through, then the next round they've got the Cavs and went back and forth. And that was really what ended LeBron's first tenure in Cleveland was Paul Pierce and LeBron going head-to-head. And Paul Pierce made the shot. A little bit of help from P.J. Brown um, hitting, a, hitting a big jumper late in the game. But but that's the one that stands out for me as well as him you know, the whole wheelchair thing, whatever, right, that is what it is. But him coming back, and then I think he hit two straight three-pointers right after that in the finals. Those are the two things I'll always remember, as well as the last shot he hit, that three-pointer, which sent the Garden. I, I can't imagine the Garden's ever cheered for an opposing player uh, the way they did for Paul Pierce on that that Sunday afternoon a year ago.
0: Yeah, I, well, let's let's dial it back. That game, the, game, the LeBron game seven there. That is actually one of the best games I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And at a point in that, I don't remember exactly the time on it. And, and I'm sorry I can't you know recall this read that this quickly. But there's a point in this game, late in the game, where Pierce is in the free throw line shooting free throws, and the ball like bounces off the back of the rim, hits the top of the backboard, and falls in. And I think it was, I think the game was on ABC. I think it was Mike Breen was like, I think the Ghosts' red hour back in here tonight is making life <laughs> a little bit easier for Paul Pierce. And you mentioned, you know, I've never seen anybody cheer for an opponent before, but I was there for the the, the Paul Pierce and KG reunion game when they came back to the garden True. as members of the Brooklyn Nets. And as a fan, it was the most awkward fan experience of all time. <laughs> you didn't know, like, when to cheer, when to boo. It was just kind of weird. But whenever Paul Pierce or Kevin Garnett hit a shot, it was just the pandemonium at the garden. And that's the one thing that I think a lot of people outside of Boston are missing. With this whole Paul Pierce thing. Like this is a guy, again, 15 years, he's, he spent so much time growing up in Boston and going through all the bad times, the rebuild, you know, getting a team that was worth a caliber of his player. Like when, when KG and Ray Allen finally come to Boston, It's finally it was the moment. It's like finally Paul Pierce. Has a team that's capable of you know dragging him not just because how many times did Paul Pierce drag teams into the playoffs and then in, yeah. you know deep into the playoffs? You know, this is one time where Paul didn't have to literally do anything, everything to get this team as far as they mm-hmm. went. And you look at that window, a couple injuries here and there, you know, cost him a couple of titles. But again, it, I, I think that it's just mind blowing to me, Keith, that so many people don't remember Paul Pierce so fondly. And I think it's a, I think it's a shame to be frankly honest with you. Keith.
1: Well, and I want to hit you with two things too. So that that 2018, that title team, when they came together with Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, Paul Pierce prior to that, he was an 18 to 20 shot a game guy. That season, 13.7 field goal attempts that season. And people forget how much he sacrificed. That was the first time since his first couple of years in the league that he really averaged under 25 points per game he really sacrificed and gave up a lot of his touches and a lot of his shots to make sure those two guys were involved and and it came at a time when i think people were wondering can he even do that how is this going to work because he he was starting to get that well he's just a you know he just puts up stats on bad teams and he's not really that good of a player and all those things and here he is you know giving up giving up his role as the guy on the team, but I think what helped two two things we know that helped right they were winning, obviously that's huge, and then the second was he was still the guy at the end of games. He was the one who got the touches, especially if it was a situation where we don't have enough time to run a set, so it's got to just go to somebody make a play. They went to Paul Pierce over and over. but one thing that always sticks with me, and this is just a personal note is I moved from Boston to Orlando in two thousand two and I was here completely alone. I didn't have, didn't really know anybody. It just settling in. And that was a year. If you go all the way back, the Celtics made that completely unexpected Eastern Conference finals run against the New Jersey Nets. And when I moved, that was one of the things that helped carry me through my time here. And it was one of those things where I knew at least every other night I could go and find something familiar to watch. So I'm always, you know, that brings back fond memories of me and Paul. Paul Pierce in a time in Boston when
0: it was a lot of change in my personal life I don't know who willingly moves from Boston to Orlando Keith you got to be one <laughs> of the few on that list my man
1: um, uh, well well let me let me tell you we're recording this on a Saturday afternoon it's 85 degrees here so All right, you don't need to rub that in Keith okay <laughs> thanks brother that, that's, I pre- why people, <laughs> that's why people willingly move from Boston to Orlando
0: yeah no I'm just I'm just giving <laughs> you a hard time right, you know, Paul Pierce it's going to be a great night it's going to be an excellent night I'm glad they're doing it after the game um nobody go anywhere if you're going to that game i know tickets are outrageous for that game they're over like a thousand dollars already uh if you can afford to go do go whoever's got the game is going to let make sure you get to see the ceremony so everybody uh when you watched it just make sure you i mean when they run through the the video and i'm sure the video is going to be absolutely spectacular uh just you know have a box of tissues handy um keith you look at the way we're going to obviously shift gears drastically here uh you have a a a trade deadline that's come and gone Cleveland reshaped their entire roster and I told everybody even before the trade deadline that wanted to listen to me that Boston was not going to do anything this Danny's a guy that only makes a trade if it really benefits Danny he doesn't really care about the other way around um and there just wasn't a move out there I don't think that was really really something that Danny was going to be like yeah no this is an obvious upgrade for me I think Danny values the fact that they have a lot of guys at positions where they can rotate guys in and out, keep guys uh, fresh. They don't play t- guys too many minutes, and they don't want to really cut into that. Like getting a Tyreek Evans is great, sure, but he comes in and then he takes minutes away from maybe Terry Rozier, maybe Marcus Smart, maybe Jalen Brown, maybe uh, maybe Jason Tatum, and maybe even Gordon Hayward if he comes back. And they don't really want to do that. Are you were you shocked? That Boston kind of stood pat and only did the Greg Monroe buy out really as a move at the trade deadline?
1: I wasn't shocked. I, I think had they not had Greg, Greg Monroe already in the fold, we knew that was done at the beginning of last week. And having him in the fold made it – there was less pressure to do something. And one of the things I think uh, was Ryan Bernardoni who pointed this out from over at Celtics Hub. He pointed this out on Twitter is Danny Ainge is not gonna go into a draft without a first round pick. And if they traded their pick this year, that was a that's a real possibility because there's no guarantee they're gonna get another pick this season. And I think that was something that was a lot of people were missing. They went into I can tell you because I was talking to people all day long, Wednesday and all day long Thursday. They were in a staring contest with Memphis. If Memphis had moved off the demands of a first-round pick for Tyreek Evans, it would be done and he'd be a Boston Celtic right now. Or if if Philadelphia had met his asking the Grizzlies uh asking price of a first-round pick, he would be there. But Memphis held firm and said, we're not doing it. The Celtics weren't willing to do it and obviously no one else was willing to do it. So he's back in Memphis. Otherwise, that's what would have happened. Now, the other thing that I think is really interesting, you kind of threw, sl- slipped him in there real real sneakily, is Gordon Hayward. There is continuing buzz that the team believes he may be ready to play again this year. And I've ta- had a chance to talk to some people and just kind of generally ask them, like, is it what does it mean that he's already doing some spot-up shooting? What does it mean that he's doing this? What does it mean we see him without the brace getting in the pool? And all you get is, these are all good signs. It may not mean anything. He may not return this season, but there are certainly good signs progressing that way. And one of the things, as I talked to a couple of people around the league, their belief was they didn't feel pressure to do anything because they think they may have one of the single biggest acquisitions any team can make ready to go in maybe the end of March, early April. And and I think what the Celtics will be in position to do with Gordon Hayward is maybe if he is ready to play, and they, if he's not 100%, they're not going to bring him back. But if he is, they can work him in. And then let's say it's not working and things just don't feel right or it screws up the chemistry or whatever. They can immediately say, all right, forget it. We'll start again in training camp and go back to what they've been doing. But if he comes in and he gives them what they need, a little bit of scoring and playmaking off the second unit – now all of a sudden you're well positioned to be in a better spot than where you would have been otherwise
0: i think it's one of the worst kept secrets in basketball that gordon hayward isn't isn't coming back i mean we all know i think at this point you know robin hayward has done a really good job of like keeping everybody up to date of his like day to day home life which has been really nice and you have all these uh these uh, uh, Twitter sites, like you know, uh, people that are analyzing pictures on Instagram, <laughs> yeah. like, oh my goodness, his brace isn't on, guys, his brace is off, and you have all these people like analyzing everything, like it's a, like the Zabruder film or something like that. I think it's incredible the amount of uh, attention that Gordon Hayward's ankle has gotten uh, this season. It's quite remarkable. I th- I do think he's coming back, and I and to be frankly honest with you, Keith, when you look at what's wrong with Boston. I I always would look at their problems and be like, you know, who would solve this problem would be Gordon Hayward. Would be a really <laughs> yep. great, really great thing to solve this problem. It's like, oh, they could really use a you know a secondary a creator. You know, maybe somebody that could play with that bench, you need to create a little bit more offense for them. Like that's Marcus- exactly
1: what I said on Twitter last the other day. As I said, the Celtics' single biggest thing they're lacking is someone who can create offense for himself or others. And that's and that's exactly what Gordon Hayward would be.
0: Well, not only that, it's like, a oh, Boston can probably use a little more shooting, and you know, who does that? Gordon yep. Hayward, you know who would do, it? I mean, just everything that they do, that they need, like, Gordon Hayward almost fits every single one of those problems. So, I mean, I, I, I hope he comes back, and if he comes back, it's, it's for the right reasons, and he's, he's, I think for me, Keith, at this point with Hayward, not to get too, you know, uh, to labor more on, uh, Hayward, but I think one of the things with me, I think, physically, he could be ready mentally, I think is gonna be another step for him, because, I mean, when you yeah, go through absolutely- something like that and you break your, break your ankle and snap it and you see it in another different direction. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but every time anybody jumps in a basketball game, I get a little bit nervous just, just hoping that they land clearly with nobody below them or anything. And we've had the Isaiah Cannon injury the other day. Uh, you know, Chris Stapp's Porzingis goes down. You know, it's just been a brutal season. So basically when anybody jumps, Keith, I kind of hold my breath.
1: Yeah, it's anytime, um, you know, the Celtics come down and they may they may have some of the worst guys in the league at their lob passes. Yeah, they do. Cause it's always behind them or they get a twist. And out. they have athletes who can go get it. But every time one of those lobs gets thrown, I'm like, just please land safely. Um, you know, one other thing to kind of close the book on Hayward from my side is in talking to folks with other teams around the league, why they believe that he's probably coming back is why in the world are the Celtics giving such detailed updates? On his rehab, usually if it's an injury like that, like Chris Taps Porzingis, we're probably not going to hear anything for months now. The Bucks. it was only when Jabari Parker started practicing again did they start saying, hey, here's where we're at with Jabari Parker. You know, the Celtics are giving these, you know, here's what's going on. The Celtics themselves are tweeting out these pictures of him shooting and all these things. And all that's doing is building hope and anticipation in the fan base that we're going to see him again this year. Otherwise, you could save all that stuff till the summer and start showing it. And the other thing, as you said, mentally – if you flash back to what the Pacers did with Paul George after his you know, horrific leg injury of his own, they brought him back for a handful of games at the end of that season, and it was designed around, let's clear this mental hurdle now so when we start next year, we're we're ready to jump right in and get,
0: get after it. Today's episode is brought to you by Casper. Podcast listeners, you're invited to take advantage of Casper's competitive, limited-time President's Day offer for the first time ever. Casper has three mattress lines to choose from, The original Casper, the Innovative Wave, and the Streamline Essential. Now, Casper, folks, is not just a mattress company. They offer sheets, they offer pillows, bed frames, and even dog beds. So everyone in the family sleeps better than ever before. And Casper is the place to shop for President's Day mattress savings this year. They sell directly to you, eliminating added costs and saving you money. You deserve to wake up feeling refreshed and rejuvenated without back pain. That's where Casper comes in. Sleep in superior comfort the rest of 18 and beyond and the help of the internet's favorite mattress brand. And for a limited time right now, you can visit Casper.com backslash savings and receive up to $200 off your purchase of $2,000 or more. This special offer expires February 20th, 2018. Make sure you see Casper.com backslash terms for more details. Again, Go to Casper.com backslash savings, receive up to $200 off your purchase of $2,000 or more. This episode is also brought to you by eHarmony. And eHarmony, folks, we all know what this is at this point. If you're tired of online dating, okay, and chances are if you've done online dating, you've run into a couple of things. Lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, And random matches that simply just don't turn into dates. And you really can't know someone or get to know someone just by looking at their picture. And that's where eHarmony comes into play. eHarmony is unlike any other dating site. It takes steps that other dating sites don't do in order to find you a more compatible match. They are built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships. It's not just a shallow hookup site. They've helped over a million of people. Find their perfect match. Become one of the million today. How do they do it, though? Well, eHarmony uses years and years and years of science and data and psychological research to send you the right matches. eHarmony brings compatible people together. There are plenty of hookup sites out there. This is not what eHarmony is, okay? And right now, my listeners get a free month with eHarmony when I sign up for a three-month subscription just by entering my promo code CelticsBeat. At checkout, stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you are ready to fall in love with someone, and because it's Valentine's Day weekend sort of coming up here, this is a time to maybe think about falling in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, the one app that's built to bring you real love is eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com. And get started today. Just enter my promo code, SUTHICSPEED, at checkout for a free month with a three-month subscription. Back to Keith. Can I give you a theory as to why Marcus Smart was was quote-unquote available this, this uh, trade season here? Yeah, for sure. So here's my thing. I think, I don't think, unless Danny got some ridiculous offer for Marcus Smart, I don't think they had any inclination to trade him. But I do think that putting him on the trade block does something, I think, quite interesting. I think if you can maybe gauge some of the teams that are interested and that give you a call, hey, if you know, uh if you look at a deal Marcus Smart for this and this, like, you know, give us a call back, maybe we can work on something. I think what Danny did I again, I don't think he had any intention of trading Marcus Smart. I think Marcus Smart is more valuable to Brad Stevens in that front office than any other team because they know exactly what he's capable of. But I, I think Danny did this just to kind of maybe gauge who we might be fighting for with Marcus Smart this upcoming summer when Marcus Smart hits restricted free agency. You agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple. So I've got two thoughts on it. One is I think you're right. I think it was, let's float this out there. And if let's say the Denver Nuggets who ended up working that three team trade to get the veteran point guard in Devin Harris that they've been looking for all year. If they said, all right, we'll give you the first. Now Ainge had that extra first to that. He could have probably said, all right, Memphis, here you go. Let's get that deal done. But That that's one part of it. And once that wasn't materializing, then I was like, all right, we're just going to keep this guy. And then I think you're exactly right is the challenge is is cap space around the league is fairly minimal. And for a restricted free agent, you really have to have enough cap space to make the incumbent team say, oh, crap, we got to match this. That's probably not going to happen for smart. But what it does do is say, and I'm I'm making this up completely out of left field, but let's say it was the 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 Sacramento Kings said, Hey, we were really interested in Marcus Smart in a trade. They couldn't come to an agreement, but now what Ainge can do is go back this summer and say, Hey, you wanna retalk that? Now we can do it as a sign and trade. And make something happen, and move you know pieces around that way, or we can do it as part of a three-team deal where we do this. So it's, it opens up a lot of windows because to what your point was, now he kind of knows who might have some interest, it, versus just going into the summer as a, as a completely unknown.
0: Can you help me? Because I'm like I'm almost contract illiterate, and I'm not really. But I mean, when it comes to some of the like Sam Sheehan, who does work for um, CLNS, and he, I, I work with him on Celtics Roundtable, other podcast that I host. He is unbelievable. He is like from the disciples of in the Church of Ryan Bernadone. He Like he's studied under Ryan for years and gets it. Um, help help break it down for me because I'm not a, as good at it. What kind of deal is Marcus Smart potentially looking at this year? Because it looks like maybe after you look at what Lou Williams got. Marcus Smart might not be that uh, hard to bring back financially, if, if, if you will, Keith
1: yeah so so it's important to note he's a restricted free agent, and a lot of people ask, what does that mean? So what that means is the Celtics have the right of first refusal to match any offer sheet he signs with another team. So a lot of people have said, "Well, won't some team just throw a you know five or six million dollar a year offer at him? Well, that's roughly what he makes now. Boston would immediately match that and say, "Great, now we've got him now he's a bargain. So Smart's not going to do that. So what happens with restricted free agents? Let's use Otto Porter as an example for last summer. So the Brooklyn Nets, as they've done two years in a row, they offered Otto Porter a full max contract for what they were able to do and force the Washington Wizards to match that. That's what you have to do to, to even have a chance at bringing in a restrictive free agent. You have to make it so that the other team, the team that owns his rights already, says, oh, man, matching this is going to mess up our books or it's going to do this to our future plans or whatever it is. This summer, that doesn't really exist. You don't have people people – I think are starting to get in. You mentioned the Lou Williams contract, which I think is starting to reset the market in people's minds. But what really happens is you have to now think of it this way this summer is there's no money. It's back to what the NBA was usually usually like for years and years where you maybe had two or three teams with cap space and then everybody else was just kind of Stuck to using exceptions or making trades, which is why the trade market could be more robust. You're really only looking at teams like the Atlanta Hawks, the Brooklyn Nets, Dallas Mavericks, Chicago Bulls, all bad teams. They they all are gonna have some amount of cap space. The Indiana Pacers could go either way. They could open up a whole bunch or they could have next to none. And then the Lakers. Lakers aren't gonna spend any money on on Marcus Smart. We know that. And then the Philadelphia 76ers and they're The last thing they need is another non-shooter. They need to fill in with shooters. So now you have to say, all right, so what market does that leave for Smart? It's either going to be a team who really, really, really wants him and then says, all right, we're going to work this as part of a sign-and-trade to get him here to our team or he's going to have to take whatever he can get, which puts Boston really back in the driver's seat. And you can take this logic and apply it to any other restricted free agent that's out there on the market. So this allows the Celtics to say, hey, we're going to do this. I've even said it could be worth it to Marcus Smart to sign in order to retain their restricted rights. The team has to offer what's called a qualifying offer. That's what gets you to keep those rights. For Smart, that's about $6 million next season. It might be worth it to him and say, you know, what, I'm just going to sign that. I'll play for six million. Then I'll be unrestricted and able to pick whatever place I want in the summer of 2019. We saw that with a couple of guys this year. So it's not going to be like it was if you if this was two years ago. He's probably getting four years, 15 million a year just because that's how good he is on defense this year. It might be four years, 30 million or something in that range.
0: Yeah, then that seems pretty affordable if you're Danny Angel, It's something you can probably lock into and not screw up your future plans. And that's the one thing about Danny that I've really enjoyed. He does like the fact that he can be flexible at any given moment just in case, I don't know, Kyrie Irving, a trade for Kyrie Irving pops up or maybe that future Anthony Davis trade everybody's looking for pops up. Um, I do want to look at the, the, the buyout market here, uh, Keith, just as, as we finish up. Um, Joe Johnson, as of this recording, has now decided to uh, hitch on to the Houston Rockets, which is a, yep. a guy I think a lot of people, Boston, just kind of wanted him to come back and play for the Celtics one more time. And uh, whether you know he could add shooting and floor spacing or not is one thing, but it's a guy that can maybe you know seal at this point have a little shot creation left uh, with all the tricks he had in the back. But a, a name that I, that's popped up recently, uh, I think it was yesterday actually when it popped up uh, Friday, and a buddy of mine has been clamoring for this forever. But it looks like Marco Bellinelli's is going to hit the market. And, and, you know, if I'm Golden State, there's another shooter that I probably don't even really need and wouldn't even really play in the playoffs. But if I'm Boston... I'm looking at Marco Bellinelli saying, "Like, look, we need a shooter. Like, between Terry Rozier, who's had a really great jump this year, but still isn't a really tremendously reliable three-point shooter. We know Marcus Smart's not a great three-point shooter. Jalen Brown depends on the day. Looks like Jay- Jason Tatum is kind of taken a step back. Horford is the best three-point shooter of the team, and Kyrie takes a ton of them. It just I, if if I'm in the pitch room." here for the Boston Celtics, I'm looking at Marco Bellinelli saying, look, we desperately need a guy like you because you give us something we don't really have a ton of, whereas a lot of these other teams have a lot of it, and you probably won't get that much playing time. Is there somebody left in the buyout market that you think Boston should go after there, Keith?
1: Yeah, you hit the name. It's Bellinelli. Uh, Joe Johnson was interesting to me. One of the things I was making points to various people was, Joe Johnson is essentially Marcus Morse right now, but worse so you, you already have that you don't need another guy who can do that he can't play he cannot cover guards anymore he just can't defend them so he's really a three four and that's what Morse is so you're you're already covered with that monroe coming in that covered the big that they needed to get now they need someone who can make shots from the wing you mentioned all the guys who are you know i mean it was ridiculous to think jason tatum was going to be a 50 point or 50 percent three-point shooter uh all season long that would have made him one of the best shooters of all time and i love the kid he's one of the only players i own player specific merchandise for and i love him but that wasn't going to happen and everybody else they're they're up and down what bellinelli gives you is consistent shooting plus he's also a guy you can throw him the ball with three seconds left on the shot clock and he's gonna get a shot at least up to the rim. and the celtics don't have a lot of that right now the one one kind of complicating factor is they, they no longer have an open roster spot so that means that they would have to let go of somebody towards the back end of the roster that's probably a Shane Larkin or an Abdel Nader and that's it really depends if you think smart can get back healthy you've probably got the point guard spot covered with smart Rozier and, and Kyrie you're probably good to go there you could let Larkin go but Larkin's been Brad Stevens energizer they love, bunny they
0: love Larkin, Larkin gives they him love something. him yeah I would in, say Nader's probably the guy. It's I think Yeah. I, I think in, as much as I like Nader, and he's a great story, second-ever uh, Egyptian-born player to be in the NBA, Shane Larkin really gives him something. And I, and I didn't think, like, there's two guys, just really quick, two guys I screwed up on this year. Uh, one is Shane Larkin being uh, an actual nice piece for them. And two, Daniel Tice has been absolutely outstanding. Uh, I, I can't believe how good he is. and every game, he gets better and more comfortable, which I really, really like. Keith do me a favor before we go plug all your stuff because you're involved with way too many things for me to keep track of at this point
1: (laughs) yeah uh, primarily I write for for Real GM um, is where you can find all of my salary cap and roster related work I did all the trade deadline you know uh, rapid reactions to all the trades those are all up I had done a bunch of pieces leading in to it. feel good about all those I think they all held up fairly well and then we'll be looking at cap space projections for the summer that'll be up later this week over at Real GM and then uh, pretty soon we'll be heading into offseason previews, and then you can find all my Celtics specific content on CelticsBlog.com. That's where I, I write about the team. Again, a lot of it tends to be more salary cap roster focused, but then I'll get in there with some more big picture thoughts. It's it's one of the I, I love that. I love the numbers. I love diving in. That's that's tends to be where my interests lie. So all my stuff is around that. And if you're really interested in looking at my NBA salary and roster sheets, they're in the link tw- pinned to the top of my Twitter timeline on my profile you can always click on that and that'll take you right to them and it's it's everything i got out there it's all the tools i use as i'm you know doing my writing and building things out and talking about the salary cap that's keith smith he's a freaking maniac
0: thanks for joining us keith i appreciate the time buddy absolutely thank you for having me. That will do it on this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. I want to take some time to thank you guys for tuning into today's show. You guys are the greatest people of all time. Make sure if you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me on Twitter at Evan Valenti E V A N V A L E N T I. I love hearing from you guys all the time. It is so much fun talking with you guys, even though I really don't know who any of you are. It's fantastic. Um, I want to throw out some uh, thank yous, and first and foremost, Keith Smiths for joining me here on today's program, my CEO. My podfather, for for those of those at He's the godfather of CLNS. It's Nick Gelso, My executive producer, Larry H. Russell, the former host of this show. Greg Casoli for digging up some things for me throughout the week, as he always does in the U.S. Today. Media group and of the Celtics Wire. Also, the Chuck Dietz and Steph Legrato for the music. And one more time, most importantly, you guys out there in the Celtics universe. I'll see you guys next week. Another episode of Celtics Beat coming right up next week, right here. On CLNS Media.